Good morning and welcome to Visionaries. I'm John Lobel, your host. You'll find us here at prn.fm every Monday at 10 a.m. New York time. And my guest today is Alexis Carl. Alexis, hi, how are you? Hello, and thank you so very much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So tell me what you're doing in these uh, times of isolation. Uh, <laughs> besides trying to re well to figure out how to teach college classes online with from an art school that we both share <laughs> at Pratt Institute that's been challenging um editing my films so I'm uh, in the midst of uh finishing a bunch of films one I just finished a small um experimental dance film and uh cooking a lot like a lot <laughs> let's start with the film Tell us about your film. Okay, wonderful. Well, I the one that I've actually just completed is called Metamorph. And um, it's a, I would consider it a, an experimental music, dance, and fashion film. And so um, it's interesting to have to describe it in words when I am so used to just presenting these films visually or you know, with music and it's actually a really good challenge. So I would say that it's very um, alien, ritual, ritualized. So like hints of kind of science fiction, um, but it's, it's very much ritual and magic based. So in the way that my two dancers to, um, that are performing in it, uh, you have to imagine a, a white space that is devoid of anything and just these two uh two dancers and they're wearing these these pieces created by actually by my husband and designer Livia Risi in Italy which are the textiles themselves are these tongues like these very very brightly saturated colored tongues and kind of alien-esque godhead figures that was really the, the concept behind it oh. so <clears throat> every time so the basic idea of the film and you're getting the inside it's only a like a five minute film is that uh the two figures start out in kind of an embryonic embrace and they they as they start to break apart and find their own uh, individual choreography they then go back together to double choreography where they create um I would say synchronized movements or not even just synchronized, but, you know, movements that are really moving off of each other, literally, um, to create a sort of ritualized pattern, which in its own right is a spell. That's the idea is that it's a spell to kind of rebuild the world. So that, that's wow. the grand idea of the film. Um, and again, it's only five minutes. And I also did the music composition with my husband. We worked together on it. Um, so it's very uh, dark, um, experimental, dark ambient. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait for you to see it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward. So let me ask, um, would you 
pardon me for bringing up the issue of label. Would you consider or label yourself a feminist or a spiritual feminist in your aesthetic approach? Hmm. That's a, I mean, I definitely consider myself a feminist. I definitely consider myself, I've never considered, you know, I, I consider certain things I do based uh, with the spiritual nature. Absolutely. I think my work, I'm more interested in the kind of accessing of ritual, you know, based on a historical shamanic aspect of it that reflects into a modern way of, of or, or modern take on the way I work with my film and music and, and physical pieces that I create, you know, painting and sculpture. So I, does that reflect into or resonate into spirituality? I guess so. But I think that that depends on the audience. I, I think me creating it is not necessarily a spiritual practice um, as much as it uh, as a kind of artistic and ritual practice. But however, if someone accepts that into a spiritual notion, then that's great. Interesting. So uh, how did you get where you are? I mean, from a, a BFA background, painting background, <clears throat> could you list all the stuff you do and describe? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. Um, so I, I, then we'll get to perfume. Okay. So I did get my uh, BFA um, at Cornell and my MFA at the New York Academy of, uh, New York Academy of Art. Graduate School of Figurative Art. So my my basis was uh, absolutely in 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 traditional painting, uh, oil painting, and music. So I had a double degree at Cornell in performance and operatic performance. So I trained as an opera singer, and I've been singing the whole time. Uh, <laughs> you know, either doing a operatic or oratorio work, and then that altered and changed. Um, into me really trying to find literally my own voice in a, in a different way, um, something that linked into my artwork very specifically, as opposed, and I like as much as I love Mozart and Henry Purcell and singing uh, all these other beautiful pieces, which have always influenced me, I decided it would be really interesting to try to do some of my own compositions based on my voice, which is a bit of an odd voice. I have a really, really low range. So, um, you know, I couldn't really find things that I was interested in singing as much as what I was interested in experimenting with. That led to experimental music, dark ambient experimental, operatic experimental as well, uh, gothic music, um, which then really reflected back to the painting, um, you know, my, my subject matter as well as sculptural aspects which so I was creating these big long huge ritualized again I keep bringing that word up but um literally like are I guess they would be called uh ritual altars so I was doing this like large-scale ritual altars then I would also have live I still do it well I'm saying then because it was pre-covid <laughs> so at the moment right. everything is is we're in we're in isolation but you know, the last show I had was a large eight foot long ritual art altar. One side was life, one side was death. Um, one, so one side was filled with uh, resin skulls and actually real human skulls encrusted with crystal and various um, bones. So like kind of a, almost like a reinvention of the skeletal structure. And this, I had a, I'm a perfumer as well. So I had a scent of 
what I considered the scent of death, which was like a tomb scent that I created based on historical research on ancient Egyptian tombs and the scents found there. And then the other side was life, which was uh, some ceramic pieces, again, another uh, ritualized skull or crystal skull, um, but filled, one of the skulls was actually covered in live moss and lichen and unmined emeralds. And again, bone structure that was a bit extenuated. So maybe I have a cow bone coming out of the head um, of a human skull, you know, so it's, it's really playing with um, growth and this a bit of a science fiction, which I'm a big science fiction nerd. So um, a little bit of that thrown in there and fragrance. And then that was all exhibited alongside of live performance. So I had, I have a troupe, a performing troupe called Lex and the Cult of Spirits. And we do uh, dance and art, oration and song and film as well. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> let's see, what did I, something caught my attention there before we get the perfume. What was sure. it? Anyway, so it'll come back. How do you get the perfume? <laughs> so perfume is interesting. Everyone always asks me that. Um, it's a great question because it's, you know, it's, it's an odd sort of discipline to be involved with and if you're not in an industry like the fragrance industry itself and so I right after graduate school I had become a restorer which was its own on another total journey um down in New Orleans so I was restoring theaters like old movie theaters in New Orleans and then I went back to New York and I started doing I, I kind of altered like all the things that I was learning about in, about restoration, like gilding, like, you know, how to like gild cornices, how to, you know, do all this kind of decorative work that ended up being tapped by this fragrance company called Furminish who are, they develop tons and tons of industrial, I'm mean, not industrial commercial fragrances, you know, like Calvin Klein and you, know, you name it, you name it, any big perfume. No, uh, anything from Victoria's Secret, you know, like all those perfumers, there's amazing perfumers there. So I was tapped in because my friend worked there as an artistic director. And so they tapped me for some of my artistic, my own artistic work um, and the ability to work and, you know, do things like gilding, do things like uh, help construct dioramas, like, you know, installations that you would literally be submerged in these huge installations, all of which to present scent. So all of which to present what they're creating. So it was really this incredible moment. And um, so I was just really fascinated by the perfumers, by the fragrance, by the fact of the linking of art and fragrance. You know, how do I create, you know, a Victoria's Secret, we're trying to present a Victoria's Secret scent, right? And then the idea was like, hey, we have this room. Let's say you have 250 square, square feet. What are you going to do with it when you have all these buyers come in and they have to smell the scent? We're not just going to give them a perfume bottle. How are you going to give an immersive experience so that they're able to understand the scent on a multi-leveled, multimodal manner? You know, which of course is what scent's about. It's the storytelling. How can we tell the story physically? 
And so it was, uh, again, a really exciting, exciting time because it was one of the really new thing that was going on in this one company. And my friend really spearheaded it. And so we, you know, all of a sudden you'd have a bath, an antique bathtub filled of, of feathers that smelled like, it's, it smelled like Victoria's Secret or, but that was in a white room and the white room had a big pulsing white light. And then on one corner, there was a hologram, you know, it, it was just extraordinary. We could really create all these worlds. So I became I excited so, by that and fragrance. So who were these worlds for? Was this for their commercial uh, conferences or for consumers? It was not for consumers. It was in-house. And so a lot of this was for buyers. It was, it was, uh, sadly, it was very secret. We weren't even allowed to take photographs. Um, it was really inside. It was very, very inside. And what it was is that, so if you're in a, a, a fragrance company and your liaison comes to you and basically says, okay, this big company wants this fragrance and they want to do a fragrance all about, you know, the color peach. Let's, let's say. And so they put that out to the other fragrance houses. There's a few really big houses. And these big fragrance houses, they, they have their perfumers working on them. It's usually teams of people and their marketing teams. And then they go to each house. It's like the, the, the company goes to each house and sees the perfume, what's been created. Basically, it's competition. So uh, this one, the fragrance house that I was working for, they were brilliant because they were like, well, we can create this immersive experience that no one's going to forget. And of course, they're, they start to make, they start to get, I mean, they are always really big anyway, but they get a lot of great bids. They, you know, people are bidding on their perfumes because they're having uh, more of an experience. You know, if you associate scent with something physical or like I said, a storytelling it's going to resonate with you longer cool. than, you know, a bottle, just a bottle, right? So that's the opening of uh, Marcel Prudence. Uh, yes. Remembrance of things. The Madeleines. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it is that. It's, you know, it, it, and I think for me, when I was there, I became so interested in fragrance and I loved the perfumers, and but I could not afford to go to Grasse, where you usually study for fragrance and be a commercial perfumer. I didn't have the money. I just came out of grad school. And so I found myself playing around with the a total other end of fragrance, which was an artisanal fragrance, you know, doing it yourself, learning ancient recipes. I was researching at the Metropolitan Museum. And then the Metropolitan took me on as a lecturer in you know, lecturing on the cultural relevance of fragrance throughout the eras for like seven years. I was doing that for them and I was teaching there too. So I, you know, and then I was started my own company, my own perfume company. Um, again, artisanal, you know, very handcrafted, really trying to understand the idea of fragrance as art, as opposed to the commercial vein of fragrance, which was much more commodity based. So your students, when they take your mm -hmm. perfume course at Pratt, um, to what extent are they maybe going to go into the perfume business? And to what extent is this an approach to creativity and culture? And if so, how? I think, 
Well, it's, it's a twofold question and it's a twofold answer. So, you know, for the first part, yes, I, I, weirdly enough, I've gotten, not weirdly, but I've gotten a few students, uh, internships within the industrial or commercial, uh, perfume world over the last year or two. Um, one who's still working in fragrance, interesting enough, she's a photographer and she's also doing their photography for this company now as well. So she's really figured out a way to combine her absolutely fantastically talented self being a perfumer. And she really is good, uh, but also, you know, linking her photography, her, which she's studying at, Corn- I mean, at Pratt and she's still at Pratt. I mean, she's just going to be graduating now and then another another girl uh, again one of my students I I was able to get her help her get an internship at a you know perfume branding company which was it's another a whole other beast and she's a graphic designer so yes I try to if if they ask I try to push them towards I have a lot of connections so I try to put them towards the industry if they're interested um but the second part of the question and what I think is probably more true for me and anything is that finding a different way to speak about the olfactory language within my class and how it becomes just another medium, how it can become just another medium. And in that way, how it can be enmeshed in a regular dialogue about art making and culture and history and contemporary. And you know, we just mash it together. So in the beginning of the class, which is called the Art of Scent, my students get these scent kits. I mean, they are the coolest damn kits you've ever seen. They're like these little boxes filled with fragrance, you know, these accords, which are many notes in one bottle to make an idea. Oh, are these commercially available or do you make them up? No, I create, I work with another, my, my perfume distributor who they're like the, the company that makes the aroma chemicals. Um, so I work with them and it's only for my Pratt students. I developed them specifically for Pratt. Like they, no one else can have them, which is, you know, really important to me. I want, I want that to be special for my students, but they'll have a, they'll have a, a, a scent in there called green and they'll have a scent called body. And for example, body, you know, what's the scent of body? You know, it could be anything. And I, I developed the, the body scent at the Guggenheim museum actually for an exhibition. and you know, it was my idea of what I I had to go with like clean, warm. That was like right out of the shower. That was that scent. It wasn't the sweaty scent. So my students start with that. So it's this mixture of these different notes. They start with that. But then, then I say, well, how do you make a sweaty scent? How do you make a clean scent? How do you make a sour scent from this body? But how do you not do it only through using scents, using essential oils or aroma chemicals? How do you do it with art? you know, which leads them to inevitably starting to tincture things, you know, throw stuff in perfumers, alcohol, or even just in alcohol and seeing what happens. You know, so I've had students use deodorant for the same, you know, wear the same deodorant for a few days, not shower, and then scrape down the deodorant and tincture that to get the sweaty smell. Um, uh, (laughs) Before you go on, um, is there a difference between the way the perfume smells when you splash it on at the counter at Bloomingdale's and the way it smells two hours later. And how do you deal with that when you're mixing them? 
Oh, absolutely. It does. A hundred percent. You know, it, it also depends on whether, where the scent has been made. So if I have a scent like Calvin Klein, uh, you know, just any old Calvin Klein scent, it has been developed so that it will stay on my body as long as possible to smell in the way that it smells in the bottle because it has fillers and fixers in it, fixers especially that literally create a kind of a ball of scent that stays just above your skin and emits just a little bit. It just, it's to hold it as much as possible. The quicker that stuff changes, the, the more difficult it is for a company to be able to market it, of course. I went with my students and the way we work um, and the way I work personally is I don't believe in that. I like the change. I think that scent is intimate. And I think that I go with a much older view of fragrance, like pre-1920s, chemical um, market and, and the marketing of scent and the way it was like, say with Chanel number no. five, I like this much more old world idea where you have a scent and you put it on your body and it alters with your skin chemistry. It changes. Um, it has, it's, it's effervescent in that way, which I think is really beautiful. It's a lot, it's alive, you know, it's these, I use a lot of essential oils as well. Uh, mixed in with aroma chemicals so you know there's elements like a pure jasmine it's going to smell it's not going to keep that one jasmine smell just like when you smell a flower it's going to change from moment to moment um, and I like that I talk to my students a lot about the ephemeral nature so you in general when you're making a scent you wait for a dry down so if I'm mixing it up in a bottle and I put it on a scent strip or on my skin if it's on a scent strip, it's going to change in about 10 minutes. It's really going to dry down. All the alcohol will burn off of it. The top notes, like anything delicate, will probably burn off a bit. And you're left with what's called the heart note. And that's like literally the heart of the scent, you know, the pulse. Um, so we, we work a lot with that idea, that concept. Also on skin, how does it change on skin? How does it change on hair? How does it change on clothing? You know, it's, it's by nature ethereal and I think that it's an important concept so artistically I'm much more interested in the artistic use of scent I'm not like again I have a perfume company I've sold bottles of fragrance my whole you know since I've done perfume but the beauty for me is how it links in with art how it becomes part of the artistic language so what would be an example of how it becomes part of the artistic language. Well, for example, I just I just created a, a an assignment while we're all in isolation for my students, and as you know, John, it was like really hard to to, to rethink what we're doing as professors right. and how you know, especially when you have scent. You know, everyone's working with their scent kit. They're smelling. They're trying each other. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. Um, and so I, I actually, and this is, I think this is a perfect example. I gave them a challenge where they had to read the nine songs of Chinese shamanism. And the nine songs are from, I believe it's the third century BC. They're so beautiful. And they're all about calling forth, these shamans calling forth gods and goddesses for tryst. 
and they're wearing, and, and it's always about scent. You know, they, they go sailing on cinnamon bark boats. The, their sails are of magnolia blossom. You know, you, you get the idea. And that the scent is heralding. It's calling forth the gods. That's, the, that's like the calling card is the scent. So I said to them, they have to write what's called a perfume brief. So they write, they read the nine songs and then they take two of the songs and they create um, a written brief based on this two of these songs. So, you know, in general, you have, you would think you have read a poem and a student, students look at the scent kit, which they have and they write, okay, green one, I would put green and body in there. Right. But my students, what we've talked about is that using the language of scent, the language of language and how it all gets interspersed and the artistic language. So my scent brief, just as a starter, for example, someone said, yes, I'm going to use the scent of green. I'm going to use the scent of body. I'm going to use the scent of tears. I'm going to use the scent of, of you know, dry linen that has, that has been hanging in the sun for 20 days. <laughs> so, so it's like they start to understand the artistic language of scent, the poetry of it. And then the second part of our challenge is that they create an artistic piece based on this and have an olfactory element within that, either physically olfactory that they explain or symbolic. So what's been happening is that I've had students create films for me for this piece. Um, like, you know, it just, just these really beautiful, someone actually like buried a, buried some sort of um, a whole bunch of materials like scented materials and then took a film like a fast motion film and then it you know grew into this like magical piece and can you hear me okay yeah okay. and and then uh, you know another had is is writing a, a scroll sorry she's embroidering the nine songs on a scroll a fabric and then that fabric is scented um, you know, so it's, it's, it's so variant. Um, some people have been, you know, you've had every, everything from someone creating a flower cloak to uh, illustrations. And so, you know, I think it's part of like synthesizing the scent within the art. Like, again, it just, it just becomes another medium. You know, it just becomes something you're, you're, you're recognizing, you're thinking about. Um, or, or hopefully that you're actually physically embracing in some way. Cool. Uh, you keep mentioning that you have a perfume company. So <clears throat> let me introduce you again. Uh, this is John Lobel. We're on uh, Visionaries. You find us every Monday at 10 a.m. and uh, at prn.fm. All of our back shows are at visionaries.podbean.com. This one will be up uh, shortly after this broadcast. And my guest is Alexis Carl, who's an artist and filmmaker and perfumer. So tell us, uh, how can people find you, uh, you know, the URLs for your perfume company or whatever? And sure. what's your perfume company? So my... I have two. The perfume company that I'm more involved with at the moment is called House of Cherry Bomb. And uh, well, that's, that's a cool name. House of Cherry Bomb. It's really fun. And I do that with my friend Maria McElroy, who also has a company called Aroma M. And my company, Sent by Alexis, which is 
on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. Um, but that's how we met. We met um, at Henry Bendel, where we were both presenting our lines. We had our lines there. And we decided to do a, a fragrance company together. Um, and we do a lot of, we do bottles. We do, we actually do like hand created scents. And, but we've also done a lot of gallery exhibitions where we've created uh, lines specifically for a gallery exhibition, or we've created ambient scent for installations. So we, we really um, have a lot of fun doing just a whole bunch of different works. Uh, you know, honestly, it's all the things that I teach my students are things that I do. So, you know, with, with uh, Maria, my perfume partner, we really just, it's playing. We're playing all the time when yeah. we can finally meet up. Um, so people can find me through House of Cherry Bomb, which is on Facebook and on Etsy and all that. And then um, Alexis Carl Films is, is where I am for all my film work, which I do a lot of my film. I do fragrance films and fashion films as well as I'm working on a feature right now. And that is at, on Instagram and Facebook as well. Right. So do, uh, do um, you know, when you see the runway at the uh, Academy Awards, mm -hmm. uh, and they ask who did the dress, uh, <laughs> do they ever ask, I mean, might somebody do custom perfume for the stars <laughs> at the Emmys? I don't see why not. <laughs> I mean, there's that famous quote, this famous quote that they asked um, Marilyn Monroe, what was it? Whoa. What did she go to sleep in? And she said Chanel number no. five. <laughs> oh, yeah. right, right, right. right. So I, you know, I think that as a, a visual medium, those kind of programs, you don't really hear a lot about scent or how someone smells. Yeah. Though, though, uh, we, we, it's time for smell-o-vision. You know, I think I think we're in this age, right? Let's get this going. Let's, you can spray. Right. You can put it, and you can push a button, and then you can smell this the scent of the star you like yeah should be <laughs> maybe that's the new that's my new career i don't know <laughs> well, in a related way do um any collectors buy your art and how does someone as creative as you are relate to the whatever we should call it commercial art world yeah, I, I mean, I certainly have had paintings sold and uh, sculptures, definitely fragrance. I mean, absolutely. It's more fragrance than anything. And I, I'm actually with Stephen Romano Gallery. And he is, he's really interesting. He does, he doesn't have a physical gallery anymore. He does pop-up galleries. And which has actually really been fun because we can kind of go in these crazy, interesting, big, weird places and have an exhibition or a performance. And, and so he represents my work. So, you know, he's, he'll, he'll, you know, represent me for sculpture and photography. I mean, sorry. Yeah. Sometimes photography, film stills and things like that. Um, you know, I was with scope art fair with him and, in, in some some really interesting, really really wonderful exhibitions, he put he's just a he's a visionary. Speaking of visionaries, you would love him, and um, he's he really is uh, mostly involved in esoteric work. So it what is esoteric work. quite extraordinary. Sorry, 
What is esoteric work? Work that I would say, I'm going to do a poetic response to this. Sure. It dare, dares to peer into the shadows. It, it enwraps itself around a sort of shamanic interest cool. and occult interest. Sounds like your work. Yeah, well, exactly. So when we met and he saw my work, he said, why didn't I know you before? <laughs> and now we're really, we're great friends. And he's, he's a champion of, of, of esoteric work. You know, he's really, he's quite fascinating. So I do, in, you know, in the commercial art world, um, in that way, you know, I do have representation. I, in, before I had done my perfume, actually, I was, when I was painting, I was showing in Chelsea and I, was doing exhibitions in that way and, and, and sold work. You know, I think, I think like everyone there's, you go through these different patterns of having to run in and out of the commercial world with, within whatever we do right now, I'm submitting to film festivals, right. you know, um, and I, I, I've been a recipient of awards for film festivals, but you know, you put in the time, you put in the money, you put in, you know, I go, to, I go to the festivals. I answer the questions in front of the audience. I, you know, it's, it's commercial in a sense, um, in a sense, it's independent film. So it's not, I, you know, I think, I think it's moving back and forth. I would never, I never say no to a commercial opportunity if it's a good one, because it's going to fuel my work in the uh, monetary aspect. So if, if a commercial opportunity will let me finish my feature or let me finish another film or let me, you know, make more art, fine. Right. I think, I think, and I think that's, you know, in part where, scent comes in too when I started my perfume company it was it's it's how do we do that but do it in an artistic way you know like yes you can buy my perfumes but let's make this an artistic endeavor I I, I did a piece I think you would like it was called the poetry of longing <clears throat> and it was a, a fragrance um what would you, it was it was a fragrance correspondence that I created a few, quite a few years ago where I created a bottle of scent and it's called the poetry of logging and anyone who it was word of mouth and anyone who wanted to try it, they had to send me a, a poem and then I'd have to respond to the poem. And then, then they would be allowed to know about the scent. Like I, I wouldn't let them even know about it, like what it was in it, anything about it. And they had to be swear. They swear to secrecy. They're not allowed to share it and they're not allowed to, let anyone else know what's inside of it. Then I would send them, they could buy it or not, you know. And then if they did buy it, I, I would send them yet, yet another poem. I had poems coming to me from all over the world. Right. It was amazing. And, you know, it was just me. It was really on a whim. I said, oh, this would be fun. Because everyone's like, well, I want to try your scent, the poetry of longing. I said, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to send it, to try it unless you oh. send me poetry. And I turned people away. I mean, some people said, I want to buy it. I said, I'm sorry, I can't sell it to you unless you send me poetry. Right. Just, you know, like, let's force, let's force art on people if we have to. Terrific. <laughs> so, <clears throat> since you're uh, so interesting, let me ask you, what, <laughs> Thank you, what are you following? Whether it's TV, movies, reading, fiction, nonfiction, what uh, websites... What, where's, what's the world you live in? The world I live in, it's all over the place. I'm listening to a lot of music. 
uh, always listening to a lot of music. Well, I've been really interested in Ali Akbar Khan at the moment. Um, so some, 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 I, gosh, I'm not sure of the, t I think it was 1970s from India, really gorgeous, gorgeous music, uh, prayer chant. And, um, but, but also a lot of experimental dark ambient. I listened to a lot of Lust Morgue who is just really beautiful, this composer and a volley who I'm lucky enough to actually work with as well. So she's, she's composing with me or for me for some of my films, which is extraordinary. She's amazing. That's and a volley. She's, she's incredible. And I'd say that's musically film wise. I, I'm looking, you know what, I, I'm voracious when it comes to film and literature. So I, I mean, I'll look at anything that's going to give me ideas, help me understand cinematography in a different way. I'm, it's funny because I was looking, I was listening to one of your podcasts about film and I kept, I, every time I said, oh, I've seen that. Oh, I love that movie too. And, you know, I'm, I go back very far. I go back to Metropolis. You mentioned Metropolis and I go back to Metropolis. I go back to uh, Bergman, of course. We have, and... we, have a, we have another cat in the background. No, it's, oh, I've yes, I've got a, quite a few cats. They're my they're my biggest inspiration. We only have my cats. Two. <laughs> I, I'm not even telling you how many I have. Um, I've got cats and fish, but um, yeah, I think film wise, you know, Terrence Malick, looking at some of the most gorgeous cinematography, it just just out outrageously beautiful cinematography. I'm also interested in. New Things, um, Midsommar was this film that just impressed the hell out of me with its cinematography, everything about it, actually. Um, you know, I, I really was interested in that. F film, of course, as a filmmaker, I mean, film for me is, I, again, I just try to watch everything. My husband and I just watched The Runaways, which I'd watched. Like, I, I just forgot who directed it. I feel really bad about that. This wonderful female director who was did a lot of music videos. And there's moments in that film that I think people, I think in a general, people lost the beauty of that film um, from what I've read. But it, there's so many cinema, cinematography moments that are just glorious. I mean, just beautiful. I'm also, I guess that, that would be, and then reading wise, um, I'm going through Golden Apples of the Sun by Ray Bradbury for like the hundredth time. And oh. one of my friends is very sick with COVID. And so I do oh. bedtime stories for him. And so I'm reading uh, Ray Bradbury for him right now. So who are some of your other favorite science fiction writers? I love Neil Stevenson. Oh! Ah, Snow Crash. <laughs> so my the favorite, the Snow Crash. Oh my, I love the Baroque, um, but I would say more than the Baroque, Snow Crash. And Diamond Age are my two favorite. There's oh, some of my two favorite. The two I read, yeah. They are so beautiful. So I'm really, really loving that. I, I have a very science fiction based world in what I do, and and the, the my upcoming film that I'm working on is is that I'm writing right now. We're going to be filming. We were supposed to film now. <laughs> that's I'm been supposed to be in Norway. Yeah, that's what happens. It's like, you know, so I'm rewriting the script and thinking of it, but that's very, very much, it's a dance, but it's very experimental with heavy, heavy science fiction overtones and undertones, all of, tones all over. 
So I, I think I think those the, and Neil Gaiman. I mean, he's always been a favorite of mine. He's just such an elegant writer for oh, a, stuff. a contemporary. Well, I feel like Neil Gaiman. I mean, everyone talks about Neil Gaiman, but um, you know, if I'm, I, I just read I, I, again. I, I read books quite often, over and over. And one of his stories is I think it's called Harlequin, and it's just, you know, it's just beautiful. It's just, I think for Neil, Neil Gaiman as a fantasy writer that veers into aspects of science fiction, but mostly fantasy, it's, he's, he somehow understood a way to link into the total contemporary tone, you know, within fantasy, which I adore I just, I just think it's just, he's just, he's, he's, you know, he's a craftsman. He's magic. He's magic, literally. Um, so he's marvelous. I mean, God, there's so many people I like. I don't even know. If, but I also love like Flaubert. <laughs> you right. know, I like Henry James and I love, you know, it's like, I love Flaubert. I love, so for me, I'm not a, I don't find my literary interests going in one direction or another, but I find them all very fascinating and desirable and then they all end up helping me understand my own work depending on it could be Jane Austen it could be Flaubert it could be you know it could be Gaiman it could be Stevenson but they every single one of those artists all of the the writers the artists the the filmmakers the musicians they all have some thing that echoes for me you know, and that I want to somehow capture a feeling or a mood or uh, it helps me understand something. Do you watch uh, any television? I, wa I just watched What We Do in the Shadows, which is like so fantastic. Okay. It's, a, it's like a mockumentary on vampires. It's, it's, it's just hilarious and amazing. And I, I'm a big fan I did. I watch here and there. I don't watch tons of television. I, I have a projector, so I watch. I usually just at my computer, so I watch something on my computer. But mostly, I, if I watch something, I'll screen it on my projector. Um, so I don't know. Not I did watch The Watchmen, which was excellent. That yeah. was really quite extraordinary, and that, that really blew me away. Again, the filming was just outrageously good, and the writing, everything about it. Yeah, I liked that a lot. So. All right. So what uh, we should wrap up in a few minutes. What else do you want to uh, tell our audience about what you do or who you are? Oh, it's so nice. That's a hard question. <laughs> I think it's 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 hard because I, you know, I am very, very, very multidisciplinary, as you know. And I guess what I like to say about myself is that all those parts make a whole and I think there's there's so many multidisciplinary interests and artists out there and I know this for my students that get really worried about oh if I if I don't just write my novel then I'll never finish the novel if I don't just compose then I'll never if I don't just paint right I finishing a novel right now I'm finishing a multitude of films I have a ton of paintings I'm composing music I work with the dance troupe, you know, it, it's, I'm making sense. All of those parts make the whole. And I guess that 
for me, that idea, that concept is something that I think is really important. So I impart this to my students as much as possible that, you know, if they're in fashion, they they can absolutely make a film. If they're in film, they can absolutely make a scent. If they're in scent, they can absolutely draw. You know, why not? I think we're in a multi-sensorial world. And especially right now, we are all in quarantine. We're all stuck at home. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate this very, very relentlessly difficult time. And it's it really is the time to embrace all these different disciplines because we have to commute at the end of the day it's about communicating it's about for me it's storytelling and communication and so that's that has to take many different forms you know be it visual or sonic sensorial scented whatever it is great so yeah i one of the things i'm doing is i'm taking advantage of this plus amazon self-publishing service that yeah. I just, well, I have a book with a publisher on Louis Kahn that I self-published a book on structures of consciousness. Uh, I have uh, just finishing one of movie reviews and one of architectural articles. So everyone, but see, you're very multidisciplined. We've talked about this previously and you know, you are multidisciplined. Like that's exactly. And I think, isn't that the best way? You know, isn't that just the most amazing thing to be able to look at something and say, I want to know more about this? So I'm a big fan of a computer scientist named Stephen Wolfram. Mm -hmm. And if anybody is a scientist or mathematician, they use his product Mathematica, sort of like a super graphing calculator for your computer. So he became rich enough with that product that he decided to figure out to totally redo physics. And he's been working on it for 20 years. He just finished. He's totally, he's unified um, quantum theory and relativity. Uh, he's uh, found the nature of space and time. He just totally redid physics. He had to finance the whole 20 year effort on his own because all of it is outside the established disciplines. <laughs> There's no grand category at the NSF for totally redoing physics. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So, so anyway, fascinating. Listen, our guest today has been Alexis Carl. She's a perfumer and multidisciplinary artist. And you will find this show on visionaries.podbean.com in a few days. And Alexis, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me and your amazing questions. They're so thought-provoking. Oh, great. They're fantastic. 